0: So you can feel it instead of thinking about it to see if it's a good match for you. That is jointheantidote.com. Scroll all the way down and you will see a place to pop your email address in and grab the recording. Hello and welcome to another episode of That's What She Said. Today we are talking about the answer to the question, what's next? And the adultopus and the things that drag you down. And a is a made-up word, so you're just gonna have to stick around and find out what it means. How about that? When people come to me with questions or for coaching, they typically want one thing, clarity. They want the answer to the question, what do I do next and how? It is the question I answer with every new dominatrixing client that I have. The answer is always different, but it's never something I know for sure. It's always something we uncover together. The right answer for her or for them or for those people is in no way an indicator that it will be the right answer for you. And that's the trouble with the internets, is that we can take advice and it can work. It can be really great. And then somewhere deep in your soul, you're like, oh, God, this feels terrible. Your job is to listen deeply, to tune into what wants to be made through you or with you, and to keep your ear to the ground with that idea as the two of you make stuff together. Only nobody wants to hear that, and so we tend to find easier means of doing the work. We freak out over seven-step formulas and plans and blueprint because brains like clarity. They like straight lines, black and white answers, logic, and no hassle methods. That's just being human. We like the least amount of effort possible for the most return on our investment. This makes people on the interwebs lots of money, but deep listening means that no one knows the answers for you. I can go in there and help you dig, but ultimately you've got to come up with your own pearls. Building a business from the wrong pearl wastes years, and I've seen it happen too many times to count. Yes, I've made lots of money, but I hate my business. What do I do now? The only way to know what to do next with your business is to engage with your work as if it actually matters. Not as if you want to boss it around or tell it what to do or freak out on it to make you more money more quickly. Simply to engage with it. I know that sounds really fucking irritating, and just stick with me. (laughs) This energy, this spirit, this muse, this constant companion, we try to feed it in big doses. Ignore it for a few weeks, give it a few hours. Ignore it for a few months, give it a weekend. Ignore it for years, give it a whole week. A whole week, we think, like in some sort of self-congratulatory fashion. Imagine walking out of your life for three months without any warning, and then coming back to your house one afternoon. We both know it's not pretty. The refrigerator is the only thing generating new life because it's oozing like mold and weird smells. All your plants have turned into spindly little dead carcasses. The kids either keeled over or went foraging at grandma's house like feral cats. Your partner abandoned ship or wants to have you committed. Your friends are beyond upset. Your mother left 372 voicemail messages. Daily attention is a vital part of every one of your most important relationships. And your creative work, your work in this world, is one of your most important relationships. Like any small, impetuous being, it will try to get your attention in soft ways. It will ask for 20 minutes by tugging gently on your being, just like a toddler tugs gently on your clothing when she only has to pee a little and needs a bathroom soon. And just like a toddler when she's ignored she'll get louder she'll wail and say she has to go now if you keep ignoring those messages she'll go ahead and pee all over herself and the floor or the car or wherever she happens to be standing at the time not because she wants to ruin your life or stain your car funny colors but because she needs your help and you weren't helping and so there's only one conclusion Then she's embarrassed and runs away and hides because whether we're talking about a spiritual or human being, peeing your pants is humiliating. Why would she crawl into your lap when you're so busy ignoring her, pushing her away, or clouding her presence with ritual and busy with a capital B? Why would she want to be rocked gently to sleep in your arms once every few months when you refuse to let her stroke your hair and sing to you every night? What's worse, this letting each other down cycle repeats with increasing intensity. After an accident, she's a little more timid. You're a little less likely to even notice she's there. When no attention is given to her, admittedly simple needs, every day, there's only one outcome. Messes and frustration, abandonment and disappointment, quiet disregard, the sort of vague smell of despair. She isn't a being you need to conquer or tackle. You don't need to take up your sword against her or go and fight the war of art because truly, I promise you, there is no fucking war. She has no wish to slay you while you sleep or cut you limb from limb before breakfast, but she does want your attention. And rather unfortunately, she's not interested in your soul's tidiest rooms. She's not fooled by the strategic arrangement of your interior furniture to avoid talking about that or doing that or looking that in the face. No part of her wants you to quote unquote go pro and round off all those edges in the name of reaching bigger audiences with ever smaller pieces of your messy heart. She is not interested in production value until you have first gone spelunking and found a few treasures worth showcasing. She is not the slightest bit impressed by the systems and strategies that crowd out what little space she might have occupied in your life each day. She falls on the floor laughing with glee when you mistake efficiency and productivity for doing your truest, deepest work in the world. Discovery will never follow the most efficient path possible. Healing is not an item to be checked off today's to-do list. Making stuff is simply making stuff and at least half of it will never see the light of day. She simply wants to play with you. Take a breath and ask this being who's very much alive, whether you're judging me as too woo-woo or not, what it, he or she or they need right now. It might be a few minutes each day or a full glorious afternoon once a week or simply acknowledgement that yes, it's actually alive. You will feel stupid, keep breathing past that. And ask, what does your creative work want from you right now? What does it look like to be creative right now? What does it feel like to be creative right now? Know that this will change over time. But the asking is allowed. It's part of the process. You don't have to just decide and then run rampant over it. What does your creative work want from you right now? Because unfortunately, your best work can't just be willed out of you in one massive expression like your weekly Taco Tuesday dump after happy hour. Your best work is going to be coaxed into the world daily. Further, and most alarmingly, this constant creative companion, whatever you choose to call him or her or it or them, is most interested in messes of all sizes, in making them and enjoying them and sorting through them for the good bits and leaving the rest behind. She's interested in searching your soul for nests, for tiny places where soft blue eggs could hatch into beings, given delicate care and a bit of wondrous attention. She's interested in bringing your baby birds to light and then nursing them into being in this magic, everyday world you have come to share with her one day at a time. This will make you feel exquisitely vulnerable and untidy. You'll be overcome with fear and doubt and it'll be so easy to turn on her. Every fiber of your being will want to turn on her in anger or ignore her just for today. She'll honor your wishes, but the game of it of this creating thing, of this writing thing, of this living thing is to stop blaming her for the messes. She's the only one who can save you from them. As you come into a relationship with her, please don't let the octopus of adulthood drag you under to drown. There are 15,000 reasons to worry about profitability first and everything else second yes your kids need shoes and college keeps getting more expensive yes you want life insurance and health insurance yes you want a retirement account and yes 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 i understand i really do that makes you think you should ignore your work for the sake of doing urgent stuff like getting the oil changed putting the laundry away or paying the bills on time please complete your urgent work But this is not an either or situation. Your taking care of her, of these gifts you've been given, does not render you incapable of managing your obligations. Don't let the octopus take you under. Yes, you are past the age where you get to be footloose and fancy free like your 14 year old self. Yes, you have responsibilities. You don't have to do them like Eeyore, as if the world depends on your not enjoying them nor do you have to hoist them onto your shoulders and carry them for the next 100 miles or 100 years, whichever comes last. You can choose to wear your responsibilities lightly. Yes, you have to feed yourself and keep a roof over your head and somehow keep your life from imploding. The octopus wants you to panic. Of course that's impossible. No, you can't do that. Stop it, just stop it. The octopus wants you to put down the paintbrushes. Stop writing, stop teaching, stop being so silly, and get back to work. The adultopus wants your house to be spotless, your thigh gap to exist and then be even larger, and your life to look like a magazine spread, while ignoring the fact that your soul is shriveling into a puddle in the corner. In other words, the adultopus wants you to freak out, take on a little water, and then resign yourself to going under. This is hopeless, might as well give up. Might as well stop trying, might as well stop doing the work, might as well try making money doing this other thing, because that seems safest. The churning creature that is being an adult with a capital A in modern society doesn't want you to wake up and say, wait, I don't have to drown. This is bullshit. Turns out, you can stand up in this water. You can put your feet on the bottom of the ocean and walk away from the adultopus. Most people don't. They chase more like it's oxygen, Like the only way to escape the briny tentacles of the adultopus is to buy it off in some sort of underwater deal involving a six- or seven or 12-figure salary and a new car lease signed once every 12 months. You can stand up. you can walk away from the ruckus. You can be a grown-up instead of an adult. You can manage your obligations and then do whatever the fuck you like with the rest of your time each day. You can shop for groceries while pretending the cart is engaged in a NASCAR race. You can splash around in paints while your dinner is in the oven. You can declare it swimsuit bathing time and throw the whole family in the tub at once, like some kind of awkward underwater circus sideshow instead of spending two hours on the nightly taking baths chore. Or you can just skip baths altogether. Grownups are, in cap- are capable of enjoying any task. Adults are not. You have to be a grown-up by virtue of being over the age of 18. You do not have to be an adult. Not ever, not once. Do you have to take on the heavy yoke of what society says must happen? Please, please don't let the adultopus win. Where in your life is the adultopus winning? And when are you going to put your feet on the ocean floor and walk away from that miserable ruckus? That's it. That's the story of the adultopus. and uh, I have more. I'm gonna I'm gonna read it to you. Here we go. I'm like, should I read it? I don't know. It's gonna be more than fifteen minutes. Here we go. Uh, so this is uh, two grown-ups in action. I guess uh, it's hard to imagine what that looks like, but I can I can tell you. Wow, you're buying a lot of streamers here. Somebody coming home from the military or something? Oh, my my girlfriend's coming home. Yeah? How long has she been gone? Six days. The cashier looks around like she's on candid camera. You gotta be joking, right? Six days and you're gonna make it look like the house threw up confetti and balloons? What is wrong with you? A few months later, I'm at the airport two hours early, just to be sure I can get to the right baggage claim and find the right appropriately manly but not too manly but then again less than fifty dollar lay for when he gets off the plane because contrary to every brochure about hawaii you've ever seen they do not just do that shit for everyone who arrives in their fair lands you've got to come prepared that's what she said he gets off the plane we've been apart for seven days and smiles all crookedly and looks embarrassed as i lay him right there in the airport Sure, we look ridiculous. I can't stop beaming and he can't stop beaming and he's tired and I'm giddy. And people throw us looks wherever we go because we're so delighted. You have to be willing to overdo it. To celebrate anything well, you push the line between fun and absurd. You ride around in the target cart because it's more fun than walking. You ask the flight attendant for the pilot wings they give kids who are flying for the first time, even though this is your 57th flight. You buy the gravedigger-shaped monster jam hat and wear it proudly at the monster truck rally. Sure, you'll get guffaws of scoff and disdain. Ugh, ups having fun. Sure, people are gonna look at you oddly when you wear a Burger King crown around the airport and you aren't even drunk. Waitresses will spit out, they're busy, they don't have time for fun, when you ask for a teddy bear-shaped pancake at the diner. Plenty of people won't understand. But the other people, those teddy bear-shaped pancakes will be delivered to your table because the cooks in the back know about fun. Three-year-olds will yell, ooh, and stop in their tracks when they spot your matching crown and pencil box sets, which they wave at you in recognition. They will refuse to be tugged along by their moms for just a second, wrapped by this strange new creature, a grown-up, having fun. The cashier at the gas station who doesn't typically like mainlanders will look forward to your visits and hug you when you say you have to go back home tomorrow. She might even ask you to come back for Christmas. Sales attendants will start dropping the F-bomb and telling you where you should really visit while you're on vacation in their corner of the world. When you drop your guard first, when you are crazy enough to love this minute instead of wishing it could be more perfect or more pinteresting, people will drop their guards in kind. They will dance with you in delight, surprising themselves with their own silliness. You will both be giddy with your vulnerability. Somewhere, Brené Brown will be compelled to laugh in the middle of a very important meeting, like an angel getting its wings, because you just fucking get it. Strangers will tell their stories and proceed to laugh so hard they pee. You'll know they pee because they told you about it, and you can suggest new Depends tampon things, because that's a thing, or vaginal weightlifting, which is also a thing, but I digress. If you do enough of this overdoing it thing, you'll see ways of doing everything a bit differently. I'm gonna to learn to speak Italian. I'm gonna dress like a three-year-old and be a unicorn for Halloween. I'm gonna pet every puppy I meet, even though I don't wanna to talk to their owners at all. You will see new ways to love the world and each other. You'll also find ways to shed who you quote unquote should be and become who you actually really deep down are. People will really deep down get you because you're willing to be gotten. And I know it's not a word and I don't care. By all of life and by everyone, even though that means you risk the judgies and the scoffies and the have no funnies too. Fine, let them keep their stiff upper lips and their sensible orthopedic shoes as they march by and hiss the word different at you and your fabulous new My Little Pony Rainbow dress. You've got six pounds of confetti in your suitcase and a plan to beat them all. You've got streamers and the perfect lay and a whole world to love. What about your work brings you the most joy, the most freedom, or the most dancing fits because you can't even handle how excited you are? Start there. Go make the fun thing, even if it makes no sense and might not have as many zeros after it as that perfectly logical thing you sort of kind of mostly, okay, really, really don't want to make. Logic cannot fill an empty heart. Logic cannot fill an empty heart. Oh, and your next move doesn't have to be huge or scary to count. There's food in the placid water. Sea turtles will throw themselves against the rocks, bashing their bodies in order to get the tastiest seaweed. But some of them just feed in the regular water, because there's food there too. It's not as exciting or as ripe with dramatic flourishes. It's not as likely to end in scars across your shell, but food, nourishment, peace. You don't have to feed on the sharp, jagged rocks of your life. You can draw upon the steady and soothing water. You can turn small bits of your existence over and over in the name of drawing out the infinite nuances that live there. You can see the mundane in a thousand new ways. That, of course, is the harder path. Poetry lends itself to drama. Novels with small plots aren't as widely read. Artwork that breathes a quiet sigh of happiness will probably never get as much press as Banksy's Dismal Land. That doesn't mean you should give up on your own still waters, on your own happiness or calm or peace, or the nuance you find when you stop struggling and simply fucking surrender. Where can you surrender? Finally, and possibly most importantly, you don't get to blame your creative work for your darkest days. Throughout my time writing, which has included being unpaid while applying for grants in college and scribbling poetry, ghostwriting through millions of dollars worth of books, landing a book deal, and penning my own books for the benefit of my peeps, I have never made writing the problem. Until recently, until I read Big Magic, I hid this fact from everyone. Writing has never been hard for me the way art appears to be hard for other people. Sure, sometimes I don't want to do it, but give me a few weeks away from it and I will be dying to get back to the keyboard and unleash new stuff. I've never understood the people who freak out about how hard writing is or how much time it takes or how terrible it feels. People say they like having written, not writing itself. And again, I don't understand Writing hasn't been what caused my darkest, most terrible, or awful times. It has been the narrow cave I swim through in order to reach the quiet and peace of the grotto on the other side. The grotto. It has been the tiny valve delivering oxygen when I can't breathe deeply enough, and the shortcut to peace that meditation and all those I-should-be-more-spiritual-so-they-try-them practices have never been. It is reliable. There. Always. It is the sound of my own voice when I am wisest, the sound of all the voices I've ever heard when I stop long enough to listen, the sound of the universe itself when I remember to put my ear to the ground and smile. It is as vital as breath itself, but as mundane as the sound of fingers clicking across keys adding to my word count on any given Wednesday. Don't let anyone take your creative work from you. Don't let anyone tell you it has to be hard or stressful or terrible. Some days it might be, but it doesn't have to be that way. The work within you wants to be made and your asshole brain will fight it like crazy, but that same asshole brain says you're fat, you're lazy, and you're stupid. Your creative work is not responsible for that voice. Don't let it trick you into thinking it is. Please love your work and then let it love you back. Oh, that felt good, didn't it? So uh, if you want to get more in touch with your work and why you do what you do, I highly recommend Liz Gilbert's Big Magic. That book is fucking miraculous. Uh, it's the best book I've read in the last 10 years. And I have an English degree, so um, so please, please go and get it. Uh, if you would like to be a writer, if that is something that is interesting to you, uh, the next round of Calling to the Deep starts in January and uh, it is all about that. Writing every day for 69 days in a row. You can find out about that at brandcampblog.com deep. If you'd like to work for me individually or with me individually because you really need an answer to what's next and your brain feels like it has about 10,000 bees in it and all of them seem equally enticing, I'd be happy to help. That is at uh, brandcampblog.com. Just in the sidebar or in the menu at the top, there is a dominatrix link. Go, hit it, get it. And uh, if you want to buy absolutely nothing and just then freaking let me know, but send me an email to be like, dude, here's what I really want you to make, or here's what I really think, or here's what today's podcast did for me. That is my currency. Uh, When you tell me things that you've never told anyone, I get so excited. This, this podcast could win. I don't even know what awards podcasts win. It wouldn't matter. Um, if I can just have emails that, uh, that say that you're listening and, uh, and you liked something or you didn't like something or you need help with something, um, those are my currency. So hit me up, brandcamponline at gmail.com. I'll be back next week. Don't let the adultopus drag you down.